Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast that we host together on this podcast network every week. Well usually, done. Usually Mondays. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. I write for the rap. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Oh, the cats are making noise already. My name is Whitney Seibold. Those are cats in the background making noise. Uh, I write for Slash Film, and uh, I am in my uh, fifth phase. There, there what? was th- this. This was the weekend of uh, uh, the the San Diego Comic Book Convention, which neither of us attended. No, no, no. I'll go if I'm on a panel, but I will never go again just for pleasure because it will not be pleasurable. Uh, no, it's 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 a mess. There's there's stuff I miss about it. Like there's stuff I yeah. like. Uh, well, there, there's stuff I miss about it that isn't part of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, many and a lot of people are complaining about this. Over a decade ago, at this point, oh, uh, long, that, it's been happening for a while. Yeah, about just sort of the increased commercialization. How big studios sort of moved into that mm-hmm. that thing, and it just became a big press release. It, it became a uh, place bonanza. to promote things mm-hmm. rather than a place to either buy things, often like rare things and collectibles and mm-hmm. old comics and such, uh, or just to share and talk about. By the way, you know how comics are in the title. Comic, yeah, yeah it used not, to be all about just not, getting the books. And, and not just and as a that. source for movies and TV and like video games. No, it was about like the, the guts. And they still have that. That's in there. But it's, there, but but it's, it's like way shoved, off to it's, it's way off to the uh, it's edge. It's literally of been floor, shoved to the yeah. side. It's literally and been shoved to the side. Going over to that area, which is not populated. People don't go over to that no, part so pretty, much. It's pretty sparse. Uh, Even when it's densely packed uh, elsewhere, you could you could like I remember the first time I went to Comic Con. It was there for the first preview night. They'd never done it before. Ooh, like was, a, like a Wednesday preview. Yeah, night. Yeah, it used to be you know, doors open Thursday morning, and you were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you got tickets for all the days, and then they said if you got tickets for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you can come on Wednesday night for a special preview night, only for people who are going to be there all the days, mm-hmm. and it's going to be open for it's like two or three hours. Yeah, and like yeah. a lot like, of the like booths opens had... at seven, but then it clo- it's, you have to be out by ten. And like a lot of the big Marvel booths hadn't been like you know the stuff that did have a big show weren't even up and running yet. They were yeah. still like putting it all together, and like it was really sparse. Like you could like sprint from one end of the hall to the other, the far oh. end, and not hit anybody. Yeah, which is yeah. just nonsensical to think about now. But you could get you know buy stuff early, basically, and mm. make sure like oh, I really wanted that, that second game. graphic novel of Justice League International that had a very limited printing, and you can't find it anymore. I was yeah. able to find that a preview night, great, and I was done for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's gotten way too big, and now uh, and and because of the internet, you know, it used to be really exclusive getting into these uh, panels. Yeah, and now they're just on people just film it. It's yeah. just on YouTube now. They're occasionally they'll like show like a clip or a trailer that isn't mm. out to the public yet, but eventually it almost always will. Yeah. Be. Uh, and, which and again, is those fine, are, those are good. clips and previews for upcoming movies. Like yeah. the movie's not even out yet. Well, I mean, if it uh, is, if it is based on a character, fans are th- it's for fans are there. Yeah, it's, so like it's, I get it. Like it's like oh, I I like they didn't apparently they showed some stuff from the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie that's coming out. They haven't shown that online yet. All right. I think if you waited all fucking day in Hall H, hmm. you're you're you, that can be for you. Sure. You know, like you've earned that. You've earned like a preview no this, one else gets is, for a this while. This is the one you know? time that gets to happen. Yeah, I think that's totally cool, by the way. So, anyway, we didn't go, but there's been a lot of hype and mm-hmm. a lot of Marvel announced a whole bunch of new projects and they announced that, like, coming up next in Avengers, uh, The Secret Wars, and also Kang the Conqueror, which is weird that Kang the Conqueror is a big deal now. <laughs> Kang the Conqueror is like a. Well, remember. 
you know, think back to when Iron Man was nobody and now yeah. Iron Man was like the center of the universe. Agreed. It's just uh, weird. The the wave of like like people were excited, and then like the almost immediate wave of eh, yeah. <laughs> that came after. <laughs> and uh, um, Scott Mendelson, who writes for Forbes, he's he's actually a very good writer. I'm fond of him. Uh, put out uh, observations about all of this stuff about how y- you look at sort of what Disney, the company, is doing. Yeah. Pretty much their entire theatrical slate is just this Marvel stuff now. Almost they're, exclusively, yeah. I mean, they got some animated movies. A, a couple, yeah. but they're they're leaning way more into the Marvel stuff than they are even to their animated product. Yeah. Star uh, Wars hasn't come out in theaters for yeah, a while. Star Wars yeah. has kind of pushed off to TV. Yeah. And, think, uh, and then, like, a lot of, like, even, like, their more anticipated stuff, I think, mm-hmm. is, like, isn't, like, Hocus Pocus going to Disney streaming as well? Yeah, like, like right a away? lot like, of these That would be a legacy release that, stuff. yeah, they probably expected to make a billion, but they probably released it in yeah. theaters a couple yeah. of years ago, yeah. So, uh, it's... All of these things that people said, you know, when uh, when Disney bought Fox, they're gonna, like, put out their remake. Oh, wait, the live-action but... remakes. And the live-action... They're, well, they're still but, putting a lot of those but out. But they're running out. Like, they how are. many are... are, are when they're, are they gonna... They're gonna remake Hercules next. Yeah. Like, when are they gonna remake, like, Hercules back into animation again? Uh... <laughs> Be a little odd. Uh, so it, it it's everything we said when Disney bought Fox. Yeah. They're going to put out all the Fox pictures and like just sort of in this fire sale. We're going to put some on Hulu. They're mm-hmm. going to put some in theaters. They're going to release them according to contract. And then they're just going to pivot and put more and more resources mm. into fewer and fewer films. Yeah. And so and all of the films that we're seeing coming out are based on characters. You know, Captain America is getting another film. Mm-hmm. They're remaking Blade with a new actor. Yeah, Marshall uh, Ali. That's kind of cool. I'm fine, a fine yeah. actor, but yeah. you know, there, it's a character we've seen. I'm before. just saying, I'm not going to just dismiss Mahershala Ali as yeah. some other actor. Like it's Mahershala Ali. Credit where credit is due. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm not disparaging Mahershala Ali. Okay, good. I'm disparaging the, the reusing Blade. It's been a long time since we've had a Blade. I'm not going to disparage it. It's been, like, it's been like 20 years since we've had another. I blade. know, but we we had it already. Is my I point. Don't mind. Yeah. I don't. It's they're serialized. I don't mind that we get new stories. You fine. know, we're getting off into a different thing. But uh, we were just making, a, you were making a joke, and we kind of just kinda went, went off on the rant. But we're like, we're uh, reviewing some movies as well. We are. Uh, I think we're just using this time to uh, avoid talking about the Gray Man. Uh, <laughs> Our, we're reviewing this week on the critically acclaimed. Uh, we're reviewing uh, Jordan Peele's Nope, mm-hmm. uh, the Russo Brothers's The Gray Man, and a horror. I'm not sure who directed a new horror film called Moloch. Moloch. It's it's a Dutch horror film. Oh, okay, it's on cool. Shutter. Um, do you want to start? What do you want to start? Uh, I, well, I, I brought up The Gray Man, so let's start with The let's Gray Man. Let's start with The Gray Man. Um, the Gray Man is the most expensive movie Netflix has ever made. Uh, 200, over 200 or over 200 million yeah. uh, from estimations. Enough money, as Eddie Izzard would say, to make Solomon to make blush. Solomon blush. Yeah. Uh, and this is the Russo brothers, speaking of Avengers stuff, they did four rather successful Avengers movies. <laughs> rather uh, successful. Rather, Literally yeah. the most successful movie of all time. Not adjusted for inflation. Not adjusted sure. for inflation, granted, but uh, even then, it's in, did in, pretty fucking good. In raw dollars, uh, their film Avengers Endgame made more money than any other. You probably yeah. saw it, uh, and yeah. uh, I've seen three of their films outside of uh, the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. What, they, what have you? What have you seen? Because that's the thing; no one ever mm-hmm. talks about that stuff. Did you see? Uh, what did they do? You, me, and Dupree. They did or? a comedy film called You, Me, and Dupree yeah. uh, in like the early two thousand, like two thousand four ish, around there, and. Um, They'd also was, done a film I actually saw in their first feature film. Oh. 
was called Welcome to Collinwood, and it was a oh, remake. Oh, you know what? I saw that one too. Excuse yeah, it was me. a remake With, uh, of Sam Worthington. It was a remake of Big Deal on Madonna Street, and I was in the test audience for that. Oh, like before the final cut. Yeah, well, I actually never ended up seeing the final cut. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's a, it's a it's, good, quirky crime comedy. It's a Sam Worthington uh, mm. showcase. Like, yeah. it actually shows... Oh, wait, that, that guy's Rockwell. actually... Or, excuse me, you're right. <laughs> Sam Worthington was the guy from... Avatar. Cl- Avatar and Clash no, no. of the Titans. The, the uh, cast of Welcome to Collinwood is... Sam Rockwell is very, very good. The cast of Welcome to Collinwood... For a debut feature, the cast of Welcome to Collinwood is pretty fucking amazing. It's got William H. Macy, Sam Rockwell, Michael Jeter, Louis Guzman, Patricia Clarkson, George Clooney, and Gabrielle Union, amongst mm. others. Yeah. That's a hell of a cast. Mm. And it's pretty good. It's a, it's a solid little crime yeah. thrill. I actually never saw the original, Big Deal on Madonna Street. Nor have I. Uh, so I can't I can't speak to its mm. quality in, compared to the original, but it stands on its own. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, uh, then okay. It, then, they, then Sam they... Rockwell yes. uh, was... It, it, that was before I knew who he was when I saw Welcome to Collinwood. Oh, yeah, he was still like... And he was still like kind of on the rise at he, that point. It's like he was the, the guy in Ninja Turtles. Uh, but... Regular or menthol, huh? Who knew that guy would get an Oscar? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's like, oh, that guy's really good. Who's mm-hmm. that guy? And, uh, then, then they did you and me and Dupree, which is mm. terrible. Uh, it's, it's just plain terrible. It's one of those, we have an annoying friend comedies yeah. and do we tell him how annoying he is or do we let him find his own way kind of a comedy? And it's just, mm. there's a subplot in that movie and this is really bizarre. Uh, where the Dupree character is played by Owen Wilson. Yeah, and it's like his uh, best friends got married and he has to move in with them right yeah, away or something. Yeah, like just they, they just they got married one. and yeah, now he's kind of like horning in on their territory and he's like this free spirit, this wild mm. guy and he's, you know, bringing women home and being kind of a slob and kind of interrupting their entire marriage. Yeah. Not a fun premise, not a good... <laughs> Ripe ground for comedy. Yeah, so it's a sitcom uh, episode, not a not a film. Exactly, yeah. uh, and one of the subplots is uh, he, the Dupree character, has a love interest, like this woman that he brings over, and mm. they catch him in bed with her, and uh, there's some push and pull as to sort of how important this woman is in her in Dupree's life, and evidently they shot scenes with an actress. But for whatever reason, she's cut from the movie. So whenever he has conversations with her, he's talking into, like, empty cars, or there's never any reaction shots. We never see what? her face or any or hear any of her dialogue. She's just gone. What? And it really stands out. It's That's like this weird, so sloppy weird. thing where they cut this character. Like, she plays an important part in the plot. Oh. And she has, she's in scenes, and they cut her out. It's very, very strange. That's... Very uh, odd. Uh, after that one tanked, the, the Russos moved into TV. They did stuff like Community. And then they moved into Big TV, which is the MCU. Uh, and they did uh, some of the more celebrated ones. They did two Captain America films. They did the Captain America the Winter Soldier, and... which was considered kind of like, an early, like oh shit, like Marvel's stepping up their game after that first yeah, wave. Yeah. They did uh, Civil then... War, which was basically like a stealth Avengers movie because everyone was in it and there's that huge fight scene. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then they did Avengers: Infinity War, mm-hmm. which basically is just putting all the pieces together for Endgame. It kind of doesn't work as, as its own film, but it, like I, as I, a, as a franchise construct, it makes sense. I, I feel like it would have worked fine on its own film had there been no Endgame. Like if the yeah. movie just ended with everybody dying, it's like, and that's this. That's sort of the grim conclusion of this. Heroism leads to mass death. Period. And it's like, oh shit, what a daring way to go out. <laughs> that but was, sadly, they had to undo that, all that. That would never that. happen. And then Endgame, which is pretty much nonstop fan service, mm. but it isn't unsatisfying fan service if yeah, you like that uh, franchise. So um, I, can't, can't, I, I have my issues with it, but it mostly works. Having now seen 
Cherry, the film mm. they made after Avengers Endgame. Which I missed. Uh, and now The Gray Man. I've learned that the Russos uh, are, are only good at sort of speaking in payoff. Mm. They're not good at setup. Uh, they, they speak in shorthand, uh, yeah. which helps when you're dealing with this big complicated machine like the Avengers series, mm-hmm. because everything's set up in previous movies for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have to invent any of the characters. They they mm. tackled no part ones. Yeah. It was all, you know, later chapters <laughs> in the series. I just realized something. And, uh, They're the opposite of J.J. Abrams. Like, yeah, if you got them to co-direct a movie, you'd actually have a great yeah, movie. Yeah, J.J. Abrams could set up, and they would pay off, and it would be great. Because they're good at payoff, but they're not good at setup. Yeah. And uh, that really shows because when they're trying to establish characters and show us why we care about these people, they fumble all that crap. Yeah. While they're, if they're trying to set up a world, it's the most boring world. Yeah. And that's especially true in The Gray Man, which is a spy thriller with no flavor. None. Uh, None no. at all. It's uh, like it's, it's like. Do you ever like you know like you get like instant ramen at the supermarket mm. and then you boil the ramen and you pour a little flavor ah, pack. Ah, yeah. ah, 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 ah. You ever forget the flavor <laughs> pack? <laughs> it's just plain noodles. You ever just do like you just spaced out like you just threw it away when you threw away the plastic wrapper yeah. and now you're just stuck with the noodles. It's like it's that's the a, gray man. It's not just broth. It's just wet yeah. noodles. It's, uh, it's the idea for a spy thriller and it's an idea every spy thriller has done. Well, it's it is be- based on like a pulp no- spy novel. And maybe it's a good one. I, I wouldn't know from watching this movie. Here's the plot of the movie. Uh, Ryan uh, Gosling, I almost said Reynolds. Ryan Gosling uh, was a convicted felon who was recruited by the CIA to be an assassin. It's, he's been doing it for 20 years now and at the beginning of the episode movie whatever at the beginning of the movie at the beginning of the movie he's on an assignment to kill a guy but he can't do it because i have to kill a kid you know like in every assassin movie ever so it goes kind of south and he ends up having to improvise and he realizes that there's a conspiracy going on and now the cia is after him and he's got to fight off like all the cia and all of these hired assassins to kill him so you know, a little bit of John Wick, a little bit of Born Identity, a little bit of... Uh, James Bond's done this a couple of times. Every Mission yeah. Impossible after a while is basically Ethan Hunt versus whoever yeah, in the government is mad at him this week. Having... And and I'll, I, I want to stress this. Having a really sort of boring rote spy plot, especially in a, a genre as well-worn as the spy genre, mm. is fine. It's not uh, a it's, problem It's not per a problem se. unto itself, but it would need to be punched... Like in Mission Impossible, a lot of those stories, like they have a maybe an interesting twist, mm-hmm. but they're not terribly complicated. No, and in fact, the, uh, the, the, with rare exception, I hmm. think there are very few storylines in any of the Mission Impossible movies, hmm. which if I just told you what happened in them, you go, wow. Hmm. It's basically just, this is an excuse to get Tom Cruise to do cool stuff. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the, the identity of that franchise. Is, yeah, Tom Cruise the, will do cool stuff. That, that first one, was it was Brian De Palma, so it was yeah. a little more twisty. But at, uh, after that, it was pretty much... Despite who was directing, Tom mm. Cruise was kind of running the show after that. Yeah, and, and um, it was basically just what, yeah. what kind of cool stunts can we get him to do this, yeah, so this the, film? The, the yeah, so the stunts and the action sequences are impeccable in those movies, uh, especially uh, uh, five and six. Those have great action Oh, I scenes. think four. I'm not a huge fan. of. I think the plot in four is actually really bad. I don't think people talk about it enough, but like the Burj Khalifa sequence The Burj Khalifa cool, sequence you know, like, There's cool stuff the in that exterior one. Building. Uh, so if you're going to have a rote spy plot, that's fine if you're going to do something interesting besides yeah. Have an interesting action yeah. have, have an interesting have character. Char- yeah, fun character. Have stuff. an exciting theme you mm. want to explore. Have a really distinctive style. Mm. But basically, yeah, if you're going to have... Basically, if you're going to work with a template... On top of that template, you have to do something. You, it's like getting a coloring book and turning it in. 
It's like, no, you're supposed to color it. Mm. <laughs> and that's the thing that the gray man, appropriate enough for the title, doesn't seem to do because, yeah, he, he gets a piece of evidence and he runs from yeah. guys and they it, like hire it's, it's like a literally... bad guy to get him. The bad guy's played by Chris Evans and it's his like whole character thumb... is he's got a mustache. Like, yeah, and, it's basically he's, Chris well, Evans, but he's evil and has a mustache. And, and he's, like, kind of uh, deliberately overacting and trying to be, yeah. like, evil, wicked guy. Uh, apparently they offered tor- him the lead, and he said he'd rather play the villain. And it shows. You can tell he must have been really bored for a while yeah. playing Captain America over and over again. Which is mm. not that it's a bad role or anything, but you do it for ten oh. years, it's going to get a little boring. Oh, that, that's debatable. But well, uh, it, it worked well for him. I suppose so. That's he, my he, point. People know who he is. It's, it's like getting tired of playing Doctor Who. It's a dream role for almost anybody, but you do it long enough, mm. and eventually you're like... It's a job. I'd rather just do a different job now. No, I, you know? I remember um, David Tennant yeah. played, played one of the doctors. Um, was talking about, yeah, I, re- I really liked the role, but something really weird happens when you see a comic book artist's ren- rendering of your face on a pair of children's underpants. Yeah. It's like, okay, this isn't really acting anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. After a while, you're just kind of like, you know, holding the holding the torch for the franchise or something mm-hmm. like that. And everything becomes a job. Yeah, yeah. No matter how awesome it is, after a while, From everything then. becomes a job. And so, yeah, it makes sense that you don't want to do it forever. And I, I listen, if Chris Evans, I like Chris Evans as an actor. I think he's actually rather underappreciated as an actor. And I, not that I think he's, you know, the greatest actor of his generation or anything like that, but I think he can do more than he's been given uh, half the I, I time. Think, uh, having him yeah, play a villain? Fine. I think give give him another decade and he'll start taking like some actually like Super juicy role. I, he's he, really good in Knives Out. Uh, he's really good in Knives I, I, Out. He did yeah. a film called Puncture earlier in his career. He was pretty good in that one. That's too. pretty good. That's a that's a biopic of a guy who was suing the like the the, pharma- medical, the medical, medical industry. industry. Yeah, like they were. People, uh, nurses were jabbing themselves with needles, and the industry was. Uh, and getting like, serious infections, and getting, yeah, infections, it, it, and getting yeah. sick. And uh, not only was the the industry covering that up, but they were like suppressing the invention of retractable needles. Yeah, which would have uh, prevented yeah, all of that. And, but because there are deals in place behind yeah, the scenes, it's, so. it's actually really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 an okay movie. Like the movie itself is just fine, but he's really good in it. He's good. Yeah, he's yeah. Really, it's kind, of, it's kind of like burned out alcoholic. Kind of, yeah, I, I think he's an alcoholic in the um, movie. In, in the movie, <laughs> Chris Evans. I have no idea. I, I, um, I hope he's he's temperate, but. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, he playing he's playing the bad guy. Not a single scene in this movie. Uh, you haven't seen it in another movie. Nope. Uh, and because the Russos are staggeringly bad at setting up an interesting world or characters, mm-hmm. that so by the time they're sort of paying stuff off, I was starting to get uh, a lot of echoes of the uh, um, Fantastic Beasts movies. Mm. It's like we're referring to something larger that doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the Fantastic Beasts movies feel like they're rushed adaptations of novels. But there aren't novels that those are yeah, based these on. These movies actually have to lay the groundwork. Mm. And the gray is sorry, the gray. The gray man is actually like weirdly terrified of that. They'd rather just be flip and cool. There's one of the first lines of dialogue mm. in the movie is uh, Ryan Gosling is being brought into the CIA by Billy Bob Thornton in really terrible CGI de aging makeup. Like, <laughs> Ryan Gosling de age him a little bit, you can't really tell. Billy Bob Thornton, you can fucking tell. Uh, <laughs> But um, they give him this weird hair, dude. Like he, after five banter lines in a row, mm. Billy Bob Thornton says, "I get it, you're glib." Yeah. Like, and that's kind of the movie. All of the dialogue in this movie isn't dialogue. 
it doesn't it doesn't like establish anything interesting about the characters or their relationships. It's, Every it's single just character information. And... It's 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 exposition and not even particularly illuminating exposition. It's just stuff that moves the plot forward. If it's not necessary for the plot, it's not in there. And that's not in that kind of cool, steely Walter Hill Dick pure screenplay kind of way, efficiency yeah. kind of way. But in a there's no personality to anyone in this world. Mm. All of the characters sound like they have the exact same voice. All of the characters have the exact same bantering dialogue. Nothing. And, they all do, feel... and the actors are all directed to deliver at that level as yeah. well. So it's it's really frustrating to have these same sort of deadpan flip. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not even witty. It just sort of stands in the place of wittiness. And that's the thing. It doesn't. The, it's not funny. Like no one's mm. funny. It actually, they're so fucking smug. There's a bit in the movie where after a while we meet uh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton has a niece. Uh, who will be the character in the movie who isn't an assassin, so of course they'll be kidnapped. Uh, and there we get this flashback to Ryan Gosling uh, meeting her. And she is she she speaks like a forty year old quip machine. Mm. She speaks like she's like on like a late night talk show, and she's been doing this for years. And every single thing Ryan Gosling says is just a setup for her to be perfectly snarky. And I'm like, this is a child, by the way, who's got like serious illness, she's got and a I, heart condition, and I yeah. get that you might fight that with humor and that you might soldier on, but you never get a sense of their vulnerability or anything. None of the characters have anything distinct to them like ryan gosling talks about like how he, his dad abused him and that's what sent him to jail in the first place some tragedy happened there it's Although, hardly revealed there's but, like, actually a, a pretty horrendous moment uh near the end of the movie yeah where um during the final fight uh mm-hmm. there's uh it takes it, place in water it like it cuts and, back and to, and it yeah. gets a during this sort of moment he has this trauma flashback from yeah. when his father was abusing him in a, in a bathtub yeah and uh like 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 not like like, uh, like, like shoving his head in yeah, like the shoving water his, yeah, yeah. So violence yeah. Vi- yeah violence sort of Tra- traumatic violence and it was implied in that moment that that trauma was what sort of gave him a superpower later in life uh-huh. that l- allowed him to fight back it's like that was really irresponsible a a it's a little irresponsible b it doesn't even read it's not mm. like he learned how to hold his breath longer than anybody because he had to in order to survive at a young age that's not an issue mm. he didn't like learn how to grab people who were pushing him underwater because his dad did it so much and finally when he learned how to do that he was able to stop his dad from doing it. Like, not that either of those would be responsible, but at the very least, there would be a reason to put them in the text. Right. And there is no reason for that. There's no reason for almost anything to be in this text. All of the stunt sequences in this movie, and this is another one. I, I keep talking about this, but I was rewatching the not not on purpose. I was at like a, a diner and they had it on the TV. I was watching the Hitman's Bodyguard. Mm. Uh, which is another one of these movies where there's a ton of action and none of it lands. None of it has any weight. It's not. It's not yeah. like I watch those sequences. I'm wondering what I'm supposed to feel. I think about all the people who p- put their lives in danger mm. to wreck that car, to jump that car into a bus, to smash that bus. I'm sure. I'm sure some of it was CGI, but it looks like some of it they really did. Think about the life-threatening danger you have to put yourself into you have to plan for you have to do everything possible to make sure that this incredibly dangerous thing is captured on camera Mm. as safely as possible so that people could be entertained by it and then i watch it and it's has no impact because a the editing it feels feels like a big waste well the, the, the editing is choppy as hell throughout the entire movie the lighting is actually pretty shit like i appreciate like 
using moody lighting or, uh, you know, allowing things to fall into shadow. But there comes a time when you're just not being visually clear. Mm. Which brings me to uh, the drones. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I didn't see Ambulance, which I, I was understood. About, I was about to bring up Ambulance. I saw, yeah. I have, I'll get to it. I haven't seen Ambulance yet. I heard Ambulance use drones really heavily in their coverage. Drones are, of course, you know, those little flying helicopter mm. toys, and you can now strap a camera to them and get cool shots. Uh, they've replaced, like... Uh, crane shots. Yeah, yeah, it used to be, like, crane shots were, like, really, really difficult for low-budget productions because you had to rent a crane, and it's a whole pain mm. in the ass. Now you get a drone. And you know what? It serves the same function. You can get away with it. Mm. But they're trying to use them in interesting ways, which I appreciate. Uh We've got a new tool in the toolbox. What can they do that other things can't do? That is an interesting idea. What can they do? And most of this movie, they are used to create visually confusing establishing shots. Rather than just show, like, the White House or something, we have to, like, zoom through the city streets in a completely incomprehensible way, like we're some kind of, like, mayfly. Well, I I, I understand the thinking behind those types of shots. They're flying these little cameras down city streets into, uh, like, narrow passages. There's a a drone shot... uh, uh, set outside of a hospital yeah. and it kind of zooms over the heads of everybody like underneath uh, like an awning yeah. in the hospital and, and then it lands on Ryan Gosling it kind of, and it kind of center, like yeah. Yeah, and it eventually settles on Ryan Gosling and yeah. what they're trying to do is establish uh, a sort of uh, um, visual continuity they're trying to yeah. map out physical space yeah and if you can move in 3D space that quickly surely mm-hmm. one might assume that would give the audience a good sense of that that kind of continuity. Theoretically, and, yes. Uh, theoretically. But in practice, I've learned now, seeing Ambulance and seeing this, is mm. it's actually just a lot more chaos. Yeah. It's not giving us uh, established angles. It's just mm. flying through that space. Yeah, it's basically giving and, us uh, the same information as if we'd had an exterior seeing people mm. walk in, and then an interior we see Ryan Gosling in the crowd. Yeah, it has the same impact, except it's just a little bit more distracting now. Mm. There's an example later in the film where there's like this big action sequence at this like mansion or chalet or something like that. And a bunch of stuff is happening in different places all at once. People are fighting over here. There's an explosion over here, mm. and we get a we get like the one drone shot in the movie where I'm like, this actually works because we start off following these two people running down here and the drone's following them and then they're fighting and it looks kind of cool in the foreground and then the drone leaves them Mm. and then it flies over and we see something's happening like elsewhere in the building and it's like you can tell that they actually choreographed all of it to happen simultaneously and that's kind of because again these kinds of like stunt shots the touch of evil oneers they're filmmakers showing off like look what look at all the effort we went into and so yeah show off please that's half the fun of this that's what that's what tom cruise is doing mission impossible movies Mm -hmm. jumping off of cliffs and shit but after does that whole bit where it's like establishing that like multiple action sequences are happening simultaneously and you get a sense of like okay so chris evans is over here and ryan gosling is over here and anna deramas who i i didn't even mention is in the movie yet because she makes more of an impression in no time to die in 10 minutes than she does in this movie (laughs) because she has no character Mm. no time to die she had like enthusiasm she was enjoying her job here she's just another pawn being moved around but after this big long like sequence where it's like okay I understand the entire geography now this is great okay so we're, I guess we're gonna see Chris Evans move closer over here and like it's gonna be really exciting because I know like how far away they are and will they reach each other in time and then it cuts to an ambiguously dark space for a long action sequence between two characters who by the way we find out have no reason to fight they just decide arbitrarily to stop 
after a couple of minutes. Yeah. So all of that establishing of clear geography is something that's important to a just generally movies, but also especially for like action sequences where it's actually like important to know like what's going on and where. You ruined it. <laughs> you just undermined <laughs> it immediately. And then on top of it all, again, it, the fact that the plot is perfunctory is fine. What's this movie about? Uh, nothing, nothing. Yeah, and, uh, it doesn't and, have anything to say about anything. Well, and, it doesn't have a reason to exist other than to exist. I feel like uh, the Russos, because their their Avengers films were so successful, yeah. uh, are taking bad lessons. Uh, because if you look at what those movies are about, uh, typically they're about their, themselves. They're about mm. their sort of spanning, overspanning structure, the way they, these things interconnect. Uh, they're technical achievements more than they are really about sort of thematics or messages. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you go to like the Avengers movies. Oh, it's about teamwork and military might. That's yeah. kind of all those things like, are really every, about. The ones that are actually kind of about something, even if they're not about something really awesome, mm. are the ones that stand out because they feel like real movies. Yeah, like, like, like No Way they, Home was about morality. Like It was actually yeah, about difficult there was, there moral was, choices. There was, I appreciate that. There was some, like, uh, some yeah. talk about like the death penalty. I appreciated that yeah. about it. It no actually had Home. a thought uh, in its head to explore. Right. It wasn't just, and now this happened right. to the characters. Yeah, the... Uh, the nostalgia was all anybody kind of took from that movie, but there's actually something going on besides. Yeah, I, I like that movie um, a lot. I, think I, I movie like uh, I like Eternals because it has this like weird mm-hmm. science fiction story about sort of the span, like the fate of humankind as part of it. Black Panther uh, reckoned mm-hmm. with if these fantasy characters exist in this universe, mm-hmm. what does that mean that our history was the same? Yeah, that's yeah. a difficult conversation to have, and I think they navigated it really well. well they, they at least addressed it. They addressed which it. Nice. I think they did um, a good job. You know, uh, even something like Iron Man three. It's like it was a personal journey, but yeah. it's like well, let's. See, wouldn't this guy uh, this, have PTSD? I'd have PTSD, and yeah. I wouldn't want to do this forever. I'd want to stop at some point. I, yeah. I, I like the ending because it looks like it was going to be the end for Iron Man. Yeah, it's like his his mansion was destroyed. He he got his heart fixed. He doesn't have to do it this. He, anymore. It literally ended with him not being Iron Man anymore. Yeah. And then the next Avengers movie, it's like oh, I just I, I'm still Iron Man. Uh, sure, why not? I'm just back. <laughs> okay, I guess I, so I, much I, for that. I had assumed that uh, there was going to be. It's like we needed to get the group together to fight a bad guy and Iron Man said no I've that's behind me and then the, during the final fight oh no we're we're being wait where did that blast come from and Iron Man goes yeah, I'm joining you worked. for one last fight guys and that like that, that would have worked that would have been fine yeah uh, it's weird point being uh, it makes more sense for him to build Ultron if he's not going to be Iron Man yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I, I'm not, I, I can't there do it go. anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I've, I've outgrown it, but you need help. The world needs my help. I can mm. help in some way, so I built a robot to but, do uh, it. But I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So I built a robot. Boom. Yeah. Point being, the Russo <laughs> brothers uh, have learned that th- that kind of like perfunctory storytelling, which is serves the Avengers movies well, mm. is all that's required to make a movie. Yeah. They don't need to think beyond that. And now that they're trying to make this a story of an addict in wartime that's what cherry was about or this spy movie they think like the genre and the actors Mm -hmm. and having quote awesome action is going to be enough they've they've fallen in the michael bay trap Mm. and uh they're slicker and i think they're more visually interesting than michael bay because michael Mm. bay leans into the chaos a little bit too hard but their movies are having the same kind of impact and they're emerging on the other side however slick and and, uh and expensive they are Mm. as completely boring the Gray Man is a nothing. It's, it's it's the biggest, most expensive nothing I've seen. It, it takes that much money and effort to be forgettable. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. It has no impact. Like a, it doesn't have anything to in, say in that time, actually like we would, would respond a, to. In another time, this would be a scandal. 
Yeah. Uh, this would be like Waterworld. This would be so expensive. Yeah. And it would this only... Would be Cutthroat uh, Island. Yeah. This would be like all of those, like truly... John Carter. Yeah, this, this is like a bomb for the ages. And because it went straight yeah. to Netflix... And because it's you know has notable actors, we're just sort of letting it slide. And I'm sure people will watch it because it's readily available and it has mm-hmm. those notable actors and it is in the director of Endgame. And when you don't have to decide what you're going to spend money on, word of mouth is a little less important. So like you might as well just click on it and check it out for yourself. And it's just mediocre enough. <laughs> like nothing about it is like despicable. Nothing about it is offensive. Mm. Nothing about it is like, just like, how dare they make this movie? It's, it's just. It's not even a failure because they had big ideas. No. There are no ideas. It's extremely mediocre mm. to the extent that it then no longer becomes mediocre. It actually becomes bad again mm. because, like, there's. It has so little impact that calling it mediocre is like too high a praise. Like it's this weird ultra mediocre, which I didn't know was a thing. Ultra mediocre. It's ultra mediocre, which is just bad. Like it just, it, but yeah, it's, people will watch it and people who are in the mood for pablum mm. people who are in the mood for for just, uh, for just, just something distracting that they didn't even what, have to order off what do you want for or, breakfast yeah. today i want cream of wheat with no milk. sugar no fruit i just want gray paste in a bowl like that's the gray man it's mm. gray paste in a bowl it will it'll fill you up it'll fill your time mm. you'll see it for two hours and you won't go to, and when you won't say to yourself, "I'm so angry at the people who made that movie," unless you just really value your time, which you should. But like, which I, I think it's enough right there. But like, it's such a waste of time and effort. I'm yeah, just like, yeah. I don't understand how like no one was like, should we make this interesting or good? Like, should we like mm. have a point? Should we have like a distinct? Style maybe like maybe style could be the substance like well, some of the best a... like spy type movies ever made are pretty formulaic but yeah, like... they have a style that carries them you know James Bond has James Bond he's an interesting character that a lot of people care about yeah I, mean, I guess not interesting character is not like com- super he's, complex he's got a shtick he's he's, he's got a, a shtick. he's a good wish fulfillment kind of a character mm-hmm. we all want to be James Bond yeah uh, we want to be able to do what he does and be capable and flip they're travel logs uh, you want to dress yeah, nice I mean, go to somewhere cool get in a fight mm-hmm. and have sex. Like that's, who, who doesn't want to do that? That sounds, that sounds like a fun uh, vacation for a lot of people, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the plots are all kind of the same. Yes, it's another yeah. deranged billionaire with a death machine. Yeah, who, who cares? He's going to stop him. That's why, that, why we're here. That's not why we're here. I, I, want, to, I want the actor playing them to have fun with it, and as yeah. long as they do, I'll be fine, which mm. is one of the reasons why Rami Malek didn't work, because so, he didn't uh, seem like he was having any fun. The Russo brothers looked at a James Bond movie and took it at face value. It's like, oh, people are coming into this because they like this story. And we're, we're going to try to recreate the most boring part of a spy movie. It's, a, it's just the structure. And, and it's nothing but structure. They've learned from also from the Avengers movies that having flip quips... Uh-huh. Makes for character, and it doesn't. This I don't... character, Sierra Six, which is the uh, the the character yeah. that actually started in a whole series of novels. Uh-huh. I can't tell you anything about that guy. No, there's not... in fact that's the whole point of him. It's like here's what we know about Sierra Six, and they open up a file, and there's nothing in it. Ha ha, we know nothing about him. And by the Another end, we learned. Yeah. By the end, we learned he had like a shitty childhood, and that if he gets mm-hmm. to know him, he's actually not so bad. And like that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all we know about the dude. I, I oh, and he likes bubble gum. 
That's right. Like that's like, but, gone. which comes up twice. <laughs> like, it's not even like an. It's not uh, even it like. Is, what was the, this, it's a setup and a payoff. Kind of with but, the gum. They actually bring it up and then they bring it up like, in a, like a different way later. Y- you want to look at like a movie that took like a pretty like kind of perfunctory kind of uh, uh, assassin spy type setup, mm. and then just did nothing but ladle awesome character on it, uh, branded to kill. Oh, the Seijin Suzuki movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about this assassin, right? And he's like the one of the best assassins in the world. The assassins are numbered. So like he, the number one assassin is the greatest assassin in the world. And this guy is like, I think, number four or something mm-hmm. like that. So he's trying to rise up the ranks. All right. And uh, he's supposed to take on an assignment. And then just he's got a really narrow window. You only got a couple of seconds to kill this guy. But he's so good he can do it. And then a butterfly lands in front of his sniper scope. And he misses his window and he's fucked. And all the other assassins are coming after him. But it's got so much weird shit personality. Like, what's this? This guy is a kink. What's his kink? He likes smelling rice. <laughs> and I don't mean like, ah, oh, it smells like rice in you. That's nice. Are you making rice? Like, no. He wants to. He will go to a bar and they'll say, what do you want? You got any rice? Yes. Where are you making the rice? In the back? I want to go in there and I want to sniff your rice. Okay. And he does. And he's like, Fuck yeah! Like <laughs> that's weird, right? And uh, he, and even Seijin Suzuki knew it was weird. He wasn't making a conventional movie. He was trying to like push the boundaries of it, but it's a conventional kind of plot with unconventional shit in it that makes it stand out and is really interesting. That movie kicks ass. The Gray Man is a conventional plot and a conventional delivery. The dialogue is conventional. The action is conventional. The lighting is conventional, if not subpar. Same can be said about the editing. Mm-hmm. The cast is too good for this. Like Ryan Gosling can be a legitimately great actor. Is it, uh, is it Jessica Henwick who is in this movie? She was also in Matrix Resurrections. She's the the oh, CIA agent yeah, who's yeah. like handling. Um, yeah, she's Chris she's Evans. the one that uh, yeah Chris Evans uh, keeps getting on the wrong. She side was of. the best part of Iron Fist. She was one of the best Je- parts of Jessica Matrix. Henwick. Jessica Henwick. She's the best part of 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 Iron Fist. She was one of the best parts of Matrix Resurrections. She's clearly awesome. Movie doesn't have a fucking idea what to do with her. Anna de Armas, I'm glad that she's getting more like action-y roles. This is what she wants to do. She can sell it really well. Mm. But also, the movie doesn't have any fucking idea what to do with her. It's like, uh, it, it, everyone in this I'll, movie, I'll even Ryan Gosling is wasted. Uh, credit where credit is due. Mm. The costume designer did not sleep on this movie. That is true. It's good costumes. Uh, there's some good costumes in this movie. They, Anna they, de Armas uh, is like, she's got this like floral print three-piece suit, which I want it's, so it, it's, fucking It's bad. got like this embroidered flower on it. It's oh, really God. cool looking. I would uh, kill for that suit in my size. Like, I and, would uh, kill you right now. Please don't like, kill me. I, uh, I, do I see a suit? A suit? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're safe. Um... And I feel like uh, Chris Evans, uh, they dressed him like a milkman. Like, yeah. They gave him these white pants. It was like, like a really unusual look for, for a role like that. So yeah. the, the costume designer is trying. Yeah. Uh, and that's maybe the only person I saw trying in there's, this movie. Uh, an and, early, and Chris Evans, maybe. There's an early action sequence that takes place. Like, you know, setting an action sequence in like front of fireworks been done uh hitchcock did a love sequence with fireworks and to catch a thief use uh uh, hitchcock paid homage to that in his remake of cape fear with like a horror sequence with like that in the background like fireworks are a bit of a cliche but they can be uh, the palma used them in blood um here they set a fight sequence in like the pit with all of the tubes that are going to shoot out the fireworks yeah. And like that's actually a cool idea. And there's a bit of the fireworks where they're like pushing each other's faces yeah. into the fireworks. And that's a cool and, idea. Yeah. I haven't seen that fight before, and I still haven't because they didn't shoot it good, <laughs> and they edited it so choppy that I couldn't tell what was happening half the time, mm. and that's a damn shame. So 
The Gray Man sucks. The Gray Man sucks. It's not a good movie. Um, it, it doesn't. It's, 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 it's not. It's not. It's so, disappointing to the like you said. Yeah. There's nothing offensive in it, but it's yeah. mediocre to the point of being disappointing. Yeah. To the point of making me kind of mad that they wasted so much time and resources. Yeah, they didn't, I'm not even mad for the right reason. I'm not even mad because you tried something and failed. I'm mad because you didn't try, yeah. which is. A different kind of anger, but it's a it's an anger that aff- I, you know I am offended. I'm offended that they think <laughs> that this, this is all it enough. takes. Yeah. That this is all it takes to make a good action movie, and it's not. Mm. And it really is annoying. Um, so let's move on to a really good movie. Uh, let's talk about Jordan Peele's Nope. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peele. Uh, this is his third feature film as a director. As a director, yeah. He also co-wrote the screenplay for the most recent Candyman movie. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, didn't he also like, co-write Keanu, or did he just act in that? Oh, and he, he I, I think he, uh, he and uh, Keegan Michael Key wrote the screenplay. I, for I will double check that because Keanu is very. Keanu funny. is very. People good. do not talk uh, about it enough. That's a good movie. Uh, people have been drawing parallels. Uh, this is the most appropriate parallel I can think of mm. between Jordan Peele and M Night Shyamalan. They're both very ambitious, idea-driven directors yeah. who let their ideas sometimes get the better of them. Real quick, just yeah. to clarify, he co-wrote Keanu with Alex Rubens, not Keegan Michael Key. Oh no, kidding! But okay. he did co-write it. I thought so. Key and Peele wrote that one. Too. I would have, I, I would have thought as well because they yeah. star in it. But no, I apologize. Well, but anyway, uh, Key and Peele are in it, and yeah. it's, it's a very funny movie. It's very funny. I, I really like yeah. uh, Keanu. Uh, I like Get Out. A lot of people like Get Out. Get um, Out is great. Get yeah. Out won him an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Mm. He deserved it. That's a brilliant screenplay. Every single time you watch that movie, you mm. pick up on new details. It's and very uh, well thought yeah, out. Yeah, he, he was a comedian. He was best known uh, before that for his comedy show, Key and Peele. Mm, which is uh, also very, very Also good. very good. And, yeah. yeah, and Keegan Michael Key, also brilliant. Indispensable. Um, yeah. Let's not, let's not, let's give credit where credit uh, is. I remember too. the year uh, Jordan Peele was nominated for Academy Award. Uh, Keegan yeah. Michael Key was a presenter and he was presenting something uh, Mary Poppins related. Yeah. Like and he was like, I think he was like announcing, like, here's the song from Mary Poppins yeah, or and, something. And yeah. they, they flew him in on cables and he kind of like flew over the. Uh, he, this is oh, yeah, I remember movie. that. Yeah. He kind of like yeah. floated down over the audience and landed on stage. It's like, yeah. okay, he and Jordan Peele are kind of at the same level right here. Yeah. One of them is gonna win an Academy Award but one gets to fly to Mary Poppins it's like that's, those are both cool things Keegan Michael Key is, is I'm, I'm gonna say it he's, a, he's not just funny he's actually an underrated actor I actually he's like really, him a yeah, lot really I'm talented. glad he's doing well uh, yeah that's neither here nor there we're yeah. talking about uh, Jordan Peele um, so yeah he made Get Out which is uh, basically kind of an updated riff on the Stepford Wise but it's it's own thing and it's really fucking yeah, great with, uh, with you know a modern race relations yeah. dimension which is really great kind um, of an impeccable movie yeah. honestly like just everything uh, about it works then uh then that's his the sixth sense then yeah. uh he made we're, his we'll, own... we'll leave m night Shyamalan's earlier work yeah, forgotten I, because even well, m night Shyamalan yeah, we're, wants we're kind to of, forget about it ignoring wide awake for the time being <laughs> yeah uh that's his key on yeah uh, <laughs> uh then he made uh his unbreakable which is us and uh us starts with a u curious right <laughs> That's a How strange! <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, that's yeah, it's completely, complete coincidence. Yeah. But uh, uh, us and Unbreakable are like loaded with some interesting ideas. Huge I think Unbreakable ideas. works a little bit better than us because us is a bunch of uh, weird ideas that don't fit together, mm-hmm. that are stuck together with chewing gum. That Jordan Peele was so eager to present to us that he didn't bother making them seem like cogent or uh, or 
uh, like like he was trying to say one particular thing. He was trying to say like eight things at once. Here, here's what I'll say about us. Uh, I'll, I'll say a couple things about it. one. Lupita Nyong'o is giving an absolutely incredible performance, and she should have been nominated for an Oscar. And I think she should have won. She's but fucking amazing in I, that I, movie. I like Winston Duke a lot in that movie. Too, also, though, yeah. really, everyone in it is good, but I think Lupita Nyong'o goes above and beyond. Um, I think in that movie, he is trying to do something where. Get Out is very rigidly structured. Mm. Like I said, it's kind of a riff on Stepford Wise. Yeah. And if you watch them back to back, you'll see just how much inspiration he took. Just in terms of, here's how you kind of That's, let this story unfold. Uh, he, he, you would, know? he would say openly that oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a, this Stepford Wives story. Yeah, but like with us, he doesn't really have a template. There's no mm. other movie kind of like us. Mm. And he was kind of just making this big, weird stab at it. Yeah. And I think I would rather have an exciting movie full of really exciting ideas that are mostly handled in a way that is at the very least engaging if not compelling oh. even if they don't all come together very well when you're thinking about them afterwards uh then something like unbreakable for example which has big ideas but i think kind of belly flops it at the end mm. so unbreakable turn turns into something different at the end which is kind of daring but it's presented really strangely the very uh, ending of unbreakable does not work much as mm. much like the very ending of us is just kind of baffling mm. but if you approach us, and this sounds like a cop-out, but I, I I think there's something to this. If you approach us, not like Get Out, where everything is supposed to make really kind of weirdly perfect sense in a way that is very uncomfortable, but you cannot deny it. Mm. If you approach us accepting that it doesn't make perfect sense and it is kind of just sloppy and nightmarish and just kind of weird for the sake of weird, oh. the movie is very satisfying. I, I suppose so. My issue with us is if you if Jordan Peele were presenting these sort of weird things that make sense in a nightmare kind of way, yeah. and it is a little bit surreal, yeah. I would have been okay with that. But he, in addition to that, he also tries to give it like kind of grounded real world rules that make the nightmarish stuff... Like, it robs it of a lot of its impact. Uh, Freddy Krueger had rules, too, dude. Like, I'm not no, gonna I'm not talking about rules within the universe. I'm talking he's trying to make it, like, real. He's trying to explain too much. Well, I, uh, also, the way, I also the way feel like... these things work. I also feel like dreams connect to our reality in some way, and they take some influence <laughs> sure. on it. So. Sure. But, again, if this were, like, in a dreamscape, that would make sense. You but know, it's not. He's trying to have it both ways. You know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, gonna fight, John. I like it more than you do, but fair. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, again, I, I like a lot of the imagery in it. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of... The, before the, stuff gets explained, it's really interesting. I love how, like... Instantly iconic the imagery is in us because like we just like haven't the had those suits and the, the gloves gold, and, the and the gold scissors, scissors. Yeah, yeah, like that's like, a very it's weird but mm. like it, it's immediately copyable like it's a perfect Halloween costume yeah, yeah. you know like, and that's something that's hard to do that's something a lot of horror filmmakers are searching for that perfect iconography mm. that instant boogeyman yeah. that will like oh now we have Freddy Krueger and once we had Freddy Krueger there was no going back that's a nightmare now yeah, and I feel like the same way the, with the tether, us the tethered the, the tethered yeah. is like a great new uh, nightmare. I love it. Uh, and now we're, we're up to Nope. His third feature film as a director, and this is his signs. Uh, and they're both <laughs> science, bit, fiction, yeah. science fiction oh. movies with flying saucers in them. So a yeah. lot of parallels here. Yeah. Uh, also, I feel like both signs and Nope really nail it. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like he's able to take a big idea and actually make it cohere a little bit better. Uh, uh, in, so in, so, uh, nope. Um, well, I, before you move on to Nope, right. I'm actually curious here because you said something that I think not everyone would agree with you. Mm. You said Signs really nails it. Are you a fan of Signs? I am a fan of Signs. I like okay. Signs. I, I, you know what? I'm actually with you on it. Okay. I a lot of people say that Signs kind of shits the bed at the end, and it doesn't oh. lead to where you're expecting the M Night Shyamalan ending to go, where it completely mm. reframes everything. It has a different vibe. 
and yeah, it's got some logical inconsistencies, but that movie is very nicely constructed. It's, it's really tense. It's, it's got a, a lot of good filmmaking. Cinematography in it, yeah. is terrifying in that movie. Oh, yeah, the music yeah. is perfect. I love the score to Signs. That's I think great. the score to Signs is one of the most like underappreciated kind of horror yeah. scores I've I've ever heard. Like people do not well, talk about enough. It's from the opening yeah. credits onward. It's instantly and, great. And, and yeah. you know, Shyamalan was calling us shots from the start. There's yeah. a, a the Signs opens with a shot of from uh, inside a, a second story bedroom mm. out to the yard. Yeah, which and is then, like a field of corn. It's, it's well, a field yeah. of corn, and there's like some playground equipment. And yeah. the camera moves, and because of the glass, it kind of like ripples a little bit. Yeah, it's like okay, time is out of joint. So that's sort of like the establishment shot. Something it's like weird. A yeah. little bit weird, other than kind of ripples. Mm-hmm. Reality isn't holding together. Last shot of the movie, same bedroom window, glass is now broken, everything's clear. <laughs> Good filmmaking stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so, anyway. so I feel like that one actually like is really solidly constructed. It's a really mm-hmm. tense movie. I very much like it. I think he just really hit it on the head. Yeah. And I feel like uh, Jordan Peele really hit it on the head with Nope. Same. Uh, because he's actually. It feels like there's a lot of disparate stuff going, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's all of a piece this time. Every uh, single weird disparate element in this movie. And, and I don't want to go into spoiler territory because one of the things I love about this movie mm-hmm. is that it is a, kind of exactly about what you think it's about, but it's mm-hmm. also about something totally different, yeah, but I, it makes sense. But it's got yeah. all these weird disparate elements that you don't really see how they connect. Why does this subplot about an old sitcom in this story that seems to be about space aliens. What is what do these things all have in common? And by the end of the movie, they all come together and you see that there was a purpose to it. And um, it does function. Now, uh, t- to start with uh, sort of where the film is weakest, it's way too long. There's a sequence at the end, like uh, sort of this, uh, the, the final action sequence that could have been easily half its length. Like they, they just kept on going on and on. I, I was too thrilled to care. They, they, th- they, they raised the stakes and then they fell and then they raised yeah. it again and you weren't really sure what was going on. They revealed something and then they just kept on revealing it until it wasn't interesting anymore. The, I, just that last sequence was way too like back I, I actually disagree uh, I actually thought it uh, weren't great but fair enough but um, uh, but yeah we, we're setting up um, mm-hmm. we, we start with a flashback we see uh, the main character is a character named OJ is played by Daniel Kaluuya from uh, from Get Out mm-hmm. and his dad is played by Keith David love seeing Keith David yes. um, and Keith David is the latest in this long legacy of horse ranchers who uh, lends horses to Hollywood productions. Yeah, they train horses and then they lend them out mm-hmm. to movies. Uh, and yeah, we talked about a little yeah. bit about like some of the other movies. Like it's in um, was it like Buck and the Preacher? They have a poster of. They implied that they were the horse wranglers that uh, uh, Sidney Poitier. Oh, that's uh, yeah, Western. Would, yeah. It was a Sidney Poitier movie. So, like, um, the implication but... is that they've been in Hollywood. In fact, the, the it's in the trailer. They talk about how the very first sequence of images that we think of now as a movie mm. uh, was Ed, Ed, a, Edward a, Moybridge uh, horse yeah. running sequence. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's an image of a black man on a horse, and it's basically the horse running, and it's kind of like a it's like a gif. It's like a feedback loop. Mm. It just keeps going back into itself, and. They claim, and there's no proof of it, but you know, it's either a great lie or it's true uh, so that they are descended from that jockey. directly yeah. descended from the very first person who was ever in a movie, which mm. is a great bit of history to give a bunch of characters. But what's cool about that, and it's something that the movie never really talks about directly, that specific shot, that specific moving image mm. of the guy on the horse, that wasn't just a photo experiment. That was trying to prove a point. So that is actually yeah, so it, it, yeah. There was a the long story, the story goes yeah. that uh, someone posited that uh, a horse when it runs will always have one foot on the ground. Mm-hmm. 
it, it will never leave the ground. And so they had to actually, for the very first time, photograph a running horse. And they, mm-hmm. they set it up with a bunch of cameras. The horse would knock over um, strings as it ran along and take a series mm-hmm. of successive photos as it ran. And then you could and see in could slow see, motion, yeah. you can like pull apart the images and you can yeah, see yeah, every you single put, you path. Lay, you lay the pictures out yeah. in exact succession. This horse is in the same spot mm-hmm. in the frame in every shot. So you put them in order and it looks like the horse is running. And you can indeed... The, the camera did not move with the horse. It was actually yeah. a bunch of cameras. And and you can see in the image that indeed the horse doesn't always have one foot on the yeah, ground. It but le- like leaps off. It was so a, the idea was this was created in order to get basically the perfect shot. Something brand new something no one had ever seen before which is ends up being kind of what the movie is about because the horse ranch keith david dies in a prologue and now oj and his sister played by kiki palmer Mm. uh have to run the place and it's kind of running into the ground he's had to sell a bunch of horses to a local amusement park there's a uh, an opening sequence where uh the two characters have a horse for like a commercial shoot yeah and they clearly don't want to be there yeah uh the Kiki Palmer character, her name is Emerald. Uh, she's more interested in sort of like selling her own side hustles yeah. than she is in doing the family business. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya is just sort of holding the horse, and he's not like outspoken he, enough to really kind of. He say only what the cares horse about needs. the horses. Yeah. He doesn't care about the showmanship part. He doesn't care yeah, about the yeah. fact that being I'm in show business. He doesn't care about show business. He just cares about the horses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's been yeah. in order to make ends meet, uh, and this is like a Hollywood legacy of. Uh, black behind the scenes uh actors yeah who are uh, whose legacy is just being stuffed out yeah the, they're they're at the end of this like they're, they're actually saying like yeah. we can just cg the horse yeah or the whatever. cg yeah. and in fact yeah. there there's even a joke about that and in a very jordan peele reference they mm. says oh yeah they they hired us to work on the scorpion king yeah. and uh, <laughs> and then they ended up just and, getting they, they, and they end up like wearing a scorpion king crew sweatshirt <laughs> yeah, they got the sweatshirt but yeah. they probably didn't get the money so yeah they said we were hired but then they didn't go with us so like that's sort mm. of like the 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 scorpion king was the end of the line for them yeah uh so yeah, this is like uh, pu- pushing this rather grand, century-long legacy of mm. filmmakers. Oh, well over a century, over, over fact, the 150 and, years, really, and and that they you know live on this ranch well outside of Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. like they've always been on the fringe, and so in order to make ends meet, they've been selling their horses to uh, a guy named Ricky. Yeah. Played Who, by uh, uh, the great Stephen Yen, Steve, uh, Steve, who's on a t- TV show. Who's on Walking Dead? Walking he, Dead. He was, I think, was Oscar nominated for Minari. Uh, good, uh, yeah. good, good actor, great actor. Love Stephen Yen, and uh, he is and actually his... he's also a legacy. He was a child actor hmm. who, and we see like in this little mini museum, his uh, uh, office, the secret chamber behind his office. Well, he's got like he's got like all of his stuff. Like he was a child actor on this western show, and that explains why he's got like a western, western theme, theme park, park now yeah. because that's like where he, it's like, S- super low rent. It, it would, it would be like, I'm trying to think about it. It would be like if, um, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example here. It would be like if uh, Neil Patrick Harris had like a doctor themed amusement park because he was Doogie Hauser. Right. You know, right. <laughs> that's not the best example, but you can kind of see what I'm getting at. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's got this long legacy and he was involved in this like really horrible tragedy that happened on a sitcom. And he gives this amazing speech about it. Uh, well, he gives an amazing speech and. Uh, in framing it, he ta- talks more about the Saturday Night Live spoof, uh-huh. like a fictional Saturday Night spoof of this fictional show. Which So he doesn't uh, have to engage with the actual yeah, memory, and, which is tr- clearly incredibly traumatic. Yeah, and we actually see a couple flashbacks. And it's, it's one of those things where we get to, like, we see clips of it before we know the, the context. Yeah, it's really uh, But yeah, he, he was on creepy. a chimpanzee-based uh, 
sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, it was called um, Gordy's uh, Home, I think. Yeah, um, something like that. Gordy, and and it was about a, a suburban family that lives with a, 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 chimpanzee. a chimpanzee. It's it's, it's basically Alf for Mister Ed or whatever yeah. like that. They just had like one weird member of the family, now, and if, it's full of jokes. If you know anything about chimpanzees, yeah. you know that they're vicious animals. They're they can be very very dangerous. There's a reason why. Uh, I had assumed that chimpanzees stay small. Oh yeah, that, you that never little, see that they're little animals. That they're little yeah. animals that you can carry, and the reason is because when you see them in movies, those are babies. Yeah, they because always babies are docile. Exactly. They, you never see unless maybe like in like the Planet of the Apes CGI. Mm-hmm. You never see a fully grown chimpanzee in a movie, which gives this impression that that's just the size they're always at. Mm-hmm. They're not. When they're they, much they bigger, can they like can. Five foot ten. They they're can a lot like more dangerous yeah. when they're when they're. And you hear a lot of terrifying stories about people who tried to like keep a chimpanzee longer than was recommended, and it went really bad. And uh, yeah, I, I learned from comedian Dana Gould that chimpanzees yeah. have a, a method of attack. Mm-hmm. Like first, the, like first they'll go after your jaw so you don't bite them. Mm-hmm. Then they'll try to savage your hands so you don't scratch them. Yeah, and they'll savage other parts of you as well. It's, it's like in order. It's it's really horrifying. So um, without going into great detail, bad things uh, happened on that set, and mm-hmm. which establishes that this is very much a story about animal wrangling this, and people trying a, yeah. to and and responsibility and keeping safe while also. Uh-huh. Trying to make a movie. So when, as we've established in the trailer, it seems as though there might be a UFO Hmm. in their area, when uh, Emerald and OJ decide that they're going to try to get a perfect image of it, and that that saved their business. And they they pick up a lot of camera equipment at uh, R.I.P. the Fries in Burbank. Oh, the Fries in Burbank. (laughs) When you see this movie, there's this awesome electronic store. In it, it well, called they're, Fries. They're all closed now. I know. Fries Electronics used to be this uh, big box electronics store prior to Best Buy. Yeah, and, and it was, was like, and it, it was much better than Best Buy too. It was a really, really good store, and like it, it was like uh, like if you wanted to build something. Yeah, like they actually had like the the servos and yeah, diodes they, they'd and have the DVDs made, but, yeah. and the typical stuff too. But like, yeah, they would have all the tacky ones. Good, sele- good selection of DVDs. Very good selection of DVDs. I've gotten some of my favorite DVDs there, but back when they existed, but and and there were a few of them around. But the Fries in Burbank. Was particularly noteworthy because it had this. It was this big fucking standalone building, had a really wide parking lot, and they had this facade in the front that made it look like a pretty fucking big, like a full size UFO had crashed <laughs> into the building. Yeah, like the back half of it was sticking out of the cracked building. That shit mm. was. Fucking cool mm-hmm. and good for Jordan Peele for getting that before. We, before I assume was, they burned, they I, tore it down. I think it's been demolished. Yeah, now, but, but yeah, like he, good for him for knowing got, that that's the perfect on, place. Oh, that's the perfect LA place to get stuff to find yeah. UFOs. Beautiful. So yeah. Uh, so like, and, and yeah. in so doing, they accumulate the clerk, which is kind of funny. This guy, yeah. uh, another character, by the way, mm-hmm. who has been burnt by Hollywood. He yeah. has a backstory about how his actor girlfriend just left him because she like got a pilot or yeah, something. Like, yeah. She, she just goes, uh, okay. It's like, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm a little out of it. I'm just thinking about my girlfriend. Here's a picture of her. It's like, uh, it's like kind of kind of pathetic. Yeah, but he he knows what they're up to. They're trying yeah. to get a UFO on film, and he's, yeah. he gets really excited about that. And uh, uh, so also, he, gradually, they accumulate. Mm. And he doesn't show up a bit more until later. We see him early, and then he comes back. 
uh, a director of photography mm. to help them try to get this shot, played by uh, the great Michael Wincott. Michael, who hasn't worked a lot recently. Not Michael as much. Uh, he was one of the great villain character actors of the 90s. Mm. You might remember him from The Crow or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's, he's the guy with the really cool voice. And, oh, God. Uh, he, gives, he stole one of the sheriff of Nottingham's deer. He gives a dramatic reading. Of the purple people eater in Nope that had my heart singing. He's, it's just literally saying the lyrics to this ridiculous song. If you've never heard it, look it up. It's the oh, one, people know the purple people. I would eater. hope so, but you don't know anymore. It, it sometimes is, these is, things just don't get repeated enough. American standard. It's a classic. Do not see the movie. The movie sucks. Uh, they oh, start, the Purple People Eater movie. Yeah, with yeah. like Shelly Winters in it. It's like, it's I didn't not a see kid. the Purple People Eater. I saw when I was a kid, even then Ch- I knew it sucked. Chubby Checker played the Purple People Eater. And they, they oh, like yeah. actually created And like Little Richard had a cameo. And, and like, it's it's not I think, good. I think Linda Blair is in it. Um, I don't remember Linda Blair, but it's not good. Uh, anyway, it's just him saying the lyrics to this incredibly ludicrous song. Mm-hmm. But because it's Michael Wincott, who is just, he, he oh, everything he says. <laughs> oh, God, it's so fucking great. And, and he's, he's, the he's, thing, so, like... he's so, I'm so glad. This is such a great breakout, re-breakout role for Michael yeah. Wincott. I was hoping when the movie Hitchcock came out, which with uh, Alfred, uh, with uh, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins and Alan Mirren, uh, Michael Wincott played Ed Gein in that movie, and he was like oh, this. That's right. He was like yeah. this figment of Hitchcock's imagination, and he was like kind of hit, the movie Psycho was kind of inspired by Ed Gein's murders, and so he the, was the thinking about the making of. He Psycho, was trying to put though. himself in Ed Gein's head a little bit in order to like inspire some of the horror in the film, and Michael Wincott represented that. And I was hoping that that would be like a re-breakout role for him, mm-hmm. kind of like you know how Jackie Brown brought Robert Forster back into the foreground, that yeah. kind of thing. I hope this does it for Michael Wincott because I miss that guy. <laughs> He's got a very unique presence. I love him to pieces. I, I want to see like a, a sad, mean-spirited movie about two like ex-killer brothers uh-huh. who are like in a retirement home together. Yeah, and they're played by Michael Wincott and Richard Brake. From Ooh, a- <laughs> that's good. I was gonna say like Michael Madsen, but I buy it. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, like because I, I they they both give me the same vibe, and I like them oh, both for the I, same reasons. I, and they're both really good actors too, yeah. so it's great. Uh, but yeah, he he's a, a, a cinematographer who's always been interested in animal photography and also old tech. When we see him at his mm. home, there's like old 35 millimeter film canisters. Yeah. And he's on this old fashioned editing machine. Yeah, he's not editing digitally. Yeah. He's editing on reel yeah, to reel, so, which is really complicated. Uh, and in fact, when yeah. we saw him earlier, uh, it was in that commercial sequence we, yeah. we mentioned. He's the photographer on that commercial sequence. That's how they mm. hooked up with him. And uh, he's bored because he's got a digital camera. So this yeah. is a chance for all of these people to ply the old Hollywood trade one last time mm-hmm. and weaponize uh, cinema and cin- the cinematic uh, tool of animal wrangling uh-huh. to solve this uh, science fiction movie problem. Now, I do not want to explain, like, what we learn about mm-hmm. stuff and how, like, s- certain plots kind of dovetail together mm-hmm. because I really do think it goes in, like, it just unfolds in a somewhat unexpected way and I just kind of like the big yeah, reveals yeah. of it. So I don't want to get into all of that. But what I I just fucking loved this movie. I love <laughs> I love that it is a story that is kind of familiar. It's about people chasing down the paranormal, mm. but it goes a completely different direction. That it ties it into different uh, uh, narrative themes. Uh, I love that every single character is distinctly written, and when they are put together in a scene, they bloom and shine depending on who they're talking to. Mm. Um, it's a Jordan Peele script, and and you know, Us was a little messy. We can all agree on that, I yeah. think. But and, and, much like Get Out, yeah. every single thing actually 
is there for a reason and it actually serves a function, even if it's a little thing. Like there's a bit, and we see it in the trailer, hmm. where uh, Kiki Palmer is giving this spiel. She's talking about the history of family. That guy in that old horse movie, the very hmm. first movie, was my great 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 grandfather and then oj corrects her he says great she's like that's another great and then later in the movie you see her like watching old home movies and you see her dad in like a video giving that same speech Mm. she messed it up because she was just giving her dad's speech yeah yeah. and that's a little thing it's not like Mm. a little it's not like a fuck up because she wasn't paying attention it was because she just Just, knew it from her dad it's like all these little tiny things it's all Um, these little tiny things they actually like nothing feels like it's left to chance and yet it all feels organic I'll say this, there is, not everything coheres perfectly. Like I said, I think the ending goes on too long. We disagree on um, that. I, I think I it's feel, thrilling as hell. I, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of thrilling for a little bit, and then it stops being thrilling, and then it, it's like, why, why, why are we going still going? I, with I think they managed um, to add different elements that made me exciting, but I can see your, I can see what you there, say. There's that. something also with uh, the the Ricky character, mm-hmm. uh, the sitcom star, mm-hmm. uh, where he's doing something with like horses and an audience, which like doesn't. I can't really figure out how that's supposed to play into all of this. Uh, I had to get um, into spoiler territory. Yeah, I, I, it made it worked for me, but uh, I think we'd have to like, get into spoilers. It's, through, like, I understand, like yeah. plot wise, it actually like moves mm. things forward. But yeah, in terms of like how it sort of ties into all of this other things, it's like just quite make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I feel like uh, and it's not spelled out, but I do think it makes sense. And, but we can have that. And also, yeah, there's a sequence early in the movie where um, that, that takes place in a barn, and something scary happens in the barn. To, to OJ. Yeah. And uh, it, it turns out, like, it, it what so, happens in that barn relates to Ricky as well. And, yeah. um, and that also doesn't really play. Like, it's a fun sequence, but mm-hmm. it's like, why are those characters doing those things? And oh, the actual, no, because, the actual, they, because hmm. there's a, re- I'm sorry, there's actually a reason for that. And I oh, don't well, wanna, maybe I just missed it's that, be- that. It's uh, because Emerald had done a thing earlier mm-hmm. and it was. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, you're right. So, like, okay, it, yeah. it does connect. Okay, it does yeah, connect. You're right. It's it's not spelled out super clear. Not everything mm. is spelled out super clear. Mm. And I'm actually fine with that. I don't mind, like, when you watch mm. it again, you'll see that, okay, no, right. wait, that's why that was there. Uh, and that, well, like, I think I'll it mostly this, like, connects. It yeah. mostly it mostly connects. And that's yeah. what I'm, I'm actually happy about. Because I feel yeah. like nothing connects in something like us. It's like you, you, you have you have like eight different ideas and you just put them on a table. It's like, what do you think of those? Eight? Well, those are all interesting pieces of fruit, but I can't compare them. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. Uh, but you, did you see this detail and this detail? Yeah, I saw those. And I think that's an interesting idea. What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Uh, that's us. I feel like, nope, everything does push together a lot, a lot more cleanly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his solidest film. I still think there's a lot of dangling threads. I feel like it could have been a little tighter, but uh, it, it's it is sort of his best film so far. I actually agree; it's his yeah. best film. I, I think Get Out is a bit more, the, like the clockwork cogs are like a little bit more perfectly timed, perhaps. Yeah. But Nope is its own entity. Nope like he, is something he's, he's I have still, not seen before. Yeah, Get Out is is a riff on something that exists. Yeah. I feel like no, a lot of people are comparing this to like Spielberg. This is not Spielberg. No, it's I not just, Jaws. It's not Close Encounters. There's a couple of elements uh, in there that like have a vibe, but um, there, there's it's, DNA it's, of other things in it's here. Signs and and I mean this as a compliment. It's Shakma, which is. Uh, <laughs> A, a really low budget baboon movie from 1990. Yeah, uh, about people being stalked by a real life baboon while they're playing Dungeons and Dragons in like an animal testing facility. It might not uh, make sense why we're comparing the whole movie to Shockma if you haven't seen Nope, 
But I assure you, if you see Nope and then see Shockma, you'll get what we're talking you'll, about. You'll get what we're talking about, in that both films are actually very important movies in terms of what animal wrangling is in the Hollywood system. Yeah. Uh, and Shockma, and I'm not kidding about this, has some of the best animal wrangling I've ever seen in a movie. That, that it's a baboon, right? In it's a baboon. That yeah. baboon they, is fucking terrifying. The, the baboon is named Typhoon, the baboon actor. <laughs> and uh, they it's a terrifying baboon. Yeah. They made that baboon do things that make it look like it's just going completely mad. It looks like it apparently it was safe. It looks like it was unsafe. It looks like it was unsafe. Which is it was a completely safe. Dangerous line to thread, yeah. but you can do it. Yeah. And and yeah. Um this movie nope. Back on to nope. And I and I, the other movie I would add to its DNA, I think, is Tremors. Uh, which there's has a lot, lot of, of there's a lot of Tremors vibe Tre- to it. Tremors is a lot more fun. Yes. Nope is actually a very stern movie. Nope has some Nope has at least two sequences in it that and, and you may love horror. Uh they're both in sort of these remote desert well, locations. Well, they, they kind of like freaked me out, actually. Yeah. There's at least two scenes in this movie where I was like, I have not specifically seen this in a horror movie before, and you have really nailed the execution, and it's kind of freaking me the fuck out right now. <laughs> and that's a lot. Like, I'm not, I, I think, I'm, I get scared by horror movies, fine, but to like feel like I've seen something new in one, mm. like I've seen a new, like there's, if I saw this movie when I was 10, I would totally have nightmares. Like, oh, it would definitely. totally have fucked me up. The, the barn sequence in particular is scary, maybe. For me, yeah. no, no. For me, there's a, the, the, there's a, I don't want to ruin it. There's a, there's a scene with, like, more people than that that freaked me the fuck out. I was like, oh, oh that's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's genuinely frightening. It's genuinely funny. It's genuinely thoughtful. Mm-hmm. It is, it's meta without ruining the... It's not the re- cute about it. It's, yeah. it's not ruining the reality of it. It's mm-hmm. just about the Hollywood industry in a way that actually makes sense within the narrative. Um, I fucking love this movie <laughs> yeah, a no, lot. I can, I can tell. I, I, this is maybe my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. Right. I loved it to pieces. I hope everyone sees it. We, we're going to have longer conversations about this after it's been out for a while. We can mm-hmm. talk more about where it goes. Because there are things this movie does that I haven't seen in a movie before. Right. And, and again, that's not like it's going to like completely change your sense of reality or anything like that. You're just gonna, I think you'll watch it and go... Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen that done that way. I haven't seen that specific take right. on this old-fashioned uh, trope. Like, it's really neat. I'll, I'll sit with it a while. It's not one of my favorites of the year so Fair. far. Right? It may, may become, you know, the films yeah. do sort of change in estimation over time. Yeah, sometimes you just um, find that they don't, they don't go away. But, but yeah, I feel like Jordan Peele just is firing on us on all cylinders. Now, yeah. if we go back to that Shyamalan uh, narrative, oh, yeah. his next film is going to be The Village, or the equivalent thereof. Uh, and or maybe he's not shy, Melania. So, uh, no, but I, I'd be interested to see if uh-huh. if he kind of whizzes the next one down his leg, mm. because the village, what beautifully photographed, amazingly good looking movie. Uh, the the use of color in that movie is impeccable. Oh, should should have been Oscar and, nominated for cinematography. At least. And it's pretty shitty. And <laughs> it, does, it does not work yeah. as a story at all. It's it's all built up mm. to support its twist. And its twist makes no sense. It, it makes no sense. It, it's, it retroactively it's kind like of, uh, it's kind of broadcast a little too heavily. Oh, it's uh, I it's, predicted uh, it from the trailer, yeah, the twist yeah. in the village, and then I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, I'm like, the only reason most of the characters in this movie are acting the way they are acting 
is so that the audience won't catch up to the twist. Yeah, there is yeah. literally no reason for most of those characters to behave the way they're behaving unless they're trying but, to hide it from the audience. And but it's I'll, a, not a good screenplay. I'll say this. Uh, Shyamalan's made some, made some bad movies. He had a pretty extended flop era. And, yeah. Um, like, because he also did Lady in the Water, which is... Yeah. Uh, I've disappeared completely up my ass. Yeah. And uh, Fortunately, he's, his, his, like, his roots were in pretty modest thrillers, and he can yeah, always so, like, get some money so to do something. I, I like The Visit. The Visit's pretty And I, and I like Split. And I like yeah. and I don't even like old. Um, I still haven't seen old. I need to see oh, old. Yeah. Uh, his movies never lack for ideas, and I feel like yeah. that that's another way that he and Jordan Peele are similar. Mm. Jordan Peele has some very interesting ideas, yeah. and I feel like even if he starts making a whole series of flops, uh, they're never going to be uninteresting. And I'm I'm Probably I'm, not, I'm no. interested in seeing Jordan Peele move forward, even if he's making bad movies. I feel like I feel like at worst at this point with this yeah. like again. Us might be the least of the three. Maybe it's not. But mm. say if, if you feel like they're a little inconsistent, fine. I feel like at the very least, even if everything Jordan Peele does after this sucks, I feel like he's going to be like an Argento, where everyone's going to be like, <laughs> okay, his Remember initial slate start, was fucking so amazing <laughs> when he was doing Deep Red and Suspiria. Like yeah. the early stuff was fucking great. That I can only be so mad about his Phantom of the Opera. Like, we're just going to not talk about the Phantom of the... We're just going to talk about Dracula 3D. We're just going to focus on the early good stuff. <laughs> That's what we're... We're all going to agree to hey, do that? Can we he, all agree to do he, that? He made a Suspiria trilogy. She only made two. We're not going to talk two, about Mother it. of Tears. Mother Jeez. of Tears is crappy. What <laughs> <laughs> that creepy one with his own daughter. Oh, God, no. Let's uh, not think about that. Pass. All right, anyway. Uh, last film we're going to be reviewing this week uh, is another horror film, yeah. which I did not see. Tell me about Moloch. Uh, Moloch. Um... You, Moloch is uh, unfortunately because of its title. I kind of knew where it was going. Because uh, is it if, is it a Metropolis reference? Well, I was going to say Moloch. Well, Moloch is like a, a, a demon uh, mm. from uh, biblical lore, right? I that just, was referenced in Metropolis. It's the most like memorable. Like, cinema, was, cinematic reference was like, from Metropolis. Wasn't like the in the in the comic and the movie there was like one older villain from the Watchmen named Moloch who was like yeah, killed yeah, yeah. as part of the conspiracy it's, or something. It's named after the same. Uh, same okay. It was Moloch. Demon, okay. Yeah. I'm not crazy. All right. Um, this is uh, the latest in uh, what, what has been dubbed full car. Yeah. That is to say it takes place in mostly like rural and wilderness type areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, the demons tend to spring from those areas. So it's like very nature based villains, mm-hmm. nature, uh, stuff like Midsommar. Mo- yeah, mo- or, monsters from the natural yeah. world takes place in remote areas, not mm-hmm. urban at all. Yeah. Uh, this is a Dutch film and uh, it's about a woman who lives just on the edge of this, essentially this extended bog, yeah. this mist covered bog. Uh, it's partly in Dutch and it's partly in English. And, uh, in an introduction, we have this really horrifying sequence where a young woman, a young girl is feeding cheese to a mouse mm-hmm. when she hears a horrible scream from upstairs and blood starts dripping down the walls and from the ceiling. Yeah. Co- coats everything. Boom. You're in. <laughs> Freaky. Freaky stuff. Uh, so we know we're in for some, and something. Yeah. This isn't going to be, be, this isn't going to be a, 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 a realistic of, two-hander character There's going to be a lot of this very slow-moving dread building in this movie. And if you're a fan of this, this movie does it quite well. Okay. Uh, I happen to be a fan of this. I like uh, just sort of wandering through the mists, waiting for the tension to grow. Mm. And you know there's something out there. <laughs> they find uh, an uh, an ancient, like, mummified corpse out in the, the, the bog. Yeah. And it's kind of a find. They didn't, they would never find any, anybody that old in this area. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a rather unusual feature. Uh, her throat has been cut uh, vertically. Oh. An interesting scar. Like That's down, unusual, Down yeah. the front of the neck. Yeah. Uh, fun. Yeah, fun. Uh, then uh, she and her family, she, she lives with her mother and, uh, and her daughter, uh, are attacked in their home. It's a little home invasion. This guy comes in, and when he screams, he screams in multiple voices. Freaky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's and not how you're supposed to scream. Starts going after them and, like, legitimately tr- trying to murder these people mm. for reasons we don't know. Uh, with an expression on his face like he doesn't want to do it. Uh-huh. So something's taken possession of this guy. Got it. Is it the ghost of that woman? I don't know. Probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Or is it something more insidious going on? Probably. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, she starts seeing reflections of this weird kind of witchy monster when she looks in like mirrors or in like reflective surfaces. Mm. Creepy, fa- a lot of wonderful creepy sequences. She goes to a hospital at one point and a young child follows her into the elevator. And there's like, like nice long shot of the kid just sort of walking down the hallway and getting in the elevator with her. And she can't say, get out of the elevator, you're a freaky kid. And, uh, Lights go out. You elevator. should be able yeah. to say that. Get yeah. out of the elevator. You're a freaky kid. You're a freaky kid. You're freaking me out. I'm in a horror movie. I don't want you to do freaky stuff. Oh Kids shit! Like, I want to push the button again. Oh shit! Freaky stuff. Why did you just speak to me in Romanian? You know, it's like <laughs> wonderful freaky stuff. Uh, this might be a little bit predictable, and I feel this is one of those movies where when we get to the end and we kind of see what the explanation for all of this evil stuff was mm. is a little too neat. It's like, yeah. this was more fun when it was mysterious, you know, when, when we didn't know what was going on. Now we know exactly what's going on. It's actually very literal what's going on. Yeah. And that's all. And that happens in a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Um, a lot of people had that complaint about hereditary. It's like, by the time we get to the end, oh, wait, this is just like something very traceable and literal happened. It's not mm-hmm. like this weird series of ineffable events about evil just sort of... Over- no, it, it ties house. up a little too cleanly yeah, at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this is one of those movies. There's, there's some, still some freaky end. shit at the end. Like, oh, it's not like it's scary. It's just maybe not, as, maybe not as groundbreaking as it felt. There's, there's one yeah. long shot of someone entering a treehouse that, like... That, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's shown up in some of my no, there There's some really freaky stuff in Hereditary. Yeah. It's a scary I, film. I love Hereditary. It's mostly great, yeah. Tony oh. Collette carries it, but... Again, also should have been also should have won an Academy Award. Definitely. Oh my yeah. God, that's one of her best performances. Not saying something. <laughs> Jesus, am, I am your mother. I uh, got that dinner sequence. You can fucking great. You can get a T-shirt with that speech <laughs> oh, transcribed <God>. on it. <laughs> I'm not sure what what you. What's the occasion for that? We're to a horror convention. I don't know. Okay, I guess that would be the one time. It's, <laughs> sure. it's, it's, it's first it's, date material is an interesting approach. It's not even like the screenplay. It's just a transcription of her dialogue on a t-shirt <laughs> from, from the I am your mother sequence. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, at the end of Moloch, there's something uh, very definite happening. Mm. And uh, it, that's that's the only disappointing part of it. It just makes it a little... Uh, yeah. I, I feel like... Uh, let me look up the name of the filmmaker. This is uh, his first feature. His name is uh, Nico Vend- Vendenbrink. Okay. Uh, and... And yeah, he, he... Someone to watch out for? Someone, yeah. So I, I think this is like... It just... It's a statement of purpose. I think this is just a good uh, mm. slow burn folk horror movie. Yeah. Uh, something that is worth your time. You know, not it's, every... It's not... It not every debut feature has to yeah. be get out. You it's, know, they it's can not, just be yeah, good and promising. It, doesn't, it doesn't transcend. It just does something really efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're into folk horror, this one does it 
pretty well. Okay, it's not, um, you, you make it sound really creepy. I, I'm oh, actually yeah, it's, into it's, it. Yeah. It's plenty creepy. And I, I also want to look up who did the music. Um, I, I do not know. Yeah. I can't find who did the music. But the music is just really wonderful. And a lot of creepy images of desiccated corpses and monsters. It's... It's only going to disappoint a certain kind of film viewer who gets let down when they can predict a plot. Some often I can predict a plot, sure, but I appreciate the telling. It's, it, that's the thing, uh, and I think that's I've I've talked to people who like I don't want to see this movie because I know how it ends. I'm like, it's not about getting to the ending. It's not an well, endurance it, it, test or a puzzle it's not box. A, it's not about what the ending is. It is about getting to. The well, end. you know what I mean. Yeah. It, okay, let me rephrase. Yeah. It's not about now that I know the ending, I know the movie. Hmm. It's the whole experience of the movie is valid, not just the conclusion. Uh, which is why we can rewatch movies. Mm. So, if again, I, I'm not offended if I know the ending of a movie as long as getting there satisfies. Mm. That's fine. Like if the gray if the gray man had been really formulaic, but had been like really excitingly produced and had interesting mm. characters or was about something or was at least stylistically well produced, that would have been enough. I would have at least given it like it's okay. But mm. like without that, it's nothing. You have mm. to like add on top of something that is familiar. It can't just mm-hmm. be familiar. And it sounds like they just made it something that was, that was creepy and efficient. It worked. Creep, creep, creepy, efficient, and, and kind of familiar. Um, oh, what was the name of the, the film mm. we saw that was... It was the number-based horror film. Oh, the the, hunt, in, like the the creepy house one? Yeah, it was the creepy house. And it was was all it? Like, uh, hold on. I'll, it had I, a really generic title. The Cellar. Just, that's right. It was just called The Cellar. Yeah, it was... Um, Good, good opening creepy good, thing yeah, happened like and then good, just falls. Good apart opening after creepy that. thing. A good mm-hmm. photography. You can tell somebody tried to do as much as they possibly could with, frankly, yeah. a pretty crappy script. Yeah, and uh, that's a good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. A good filmmaker can do that. Uh, a... They didn't make the film like great, but you can tell that they're really talented. Yeah, that's how I felt about the twin, which mm-hmm. was very similar. Uh, I thought to the cellar in a lot of mm. ways. Family goes to a big house, enduring some trauma, yeah. creepy stuff happening with the kid. Performances are all really, really good. But that one actually did go in interesting directions. Okay. So it just, it just, it just a little, a little sweeter. Yeah. You know, a little, yeah. a little bit more sugar on that, <laughs> on that cupcake. You know, like just yeah. really good stuff. Yeah. If you like full car, and I do, uh, yeah. then then Moloch is yeah is Sounds worth, good. worth a look. It's it's on Shutter now. Awesome. Well, let's review our movies on our critically acclaimed scale once again. If you're new. Our critically acclaimed scale goes from C- to C+. The lowest you can get is a C-. That is below average, that is. We do not recommend it. It might be the worst movie ever made, but at the very least, we don't recommend it. Mm. Most movies are some variation on a C. They're okay. You know, they're, they're not terrible. They're not great. There's good stuff, bad stuff. Some fans of particular genres might like them more than others. But they're definitely not, like, really killing it. Mm. Uh, if you're really killing it, you get a C plus. That is a movie we recommend. It might even be the best movie ever made anywhere in that zone. We just genuinely want you to see this movie. We think it's really, really good. Mm. On that note, Whitney mm. Moloch. Well, uh, a C plus. Uh, not okay. just it. It does it right, um, and that's all I really need to say. Great. It's, uh, I, again, not, you know, maybe it's like teetering between a high C and a C plus. I'll say that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just to not to oversell it. Just yeah, it, it's. It, it's it's uh, a recommendation, but it's, a recommend, ne- it's not yeah. the most enthusiastic you've ever exactly. given. It's, okay. it's a recommend. Awesome. Uh, nope. Nope is a C plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, again, I, I found there's some some sort of errors. I feel like it could be a lot tighter, mm. but uh, it's it actually has some interesting ideas that I feel do come together in a way that I haven't seen Jordan Peele do 
quite this well before. So. Yeah, I, I have not seen this movie before. I can see all the pieces that became this movie, but this is not a movie I've specifically seen before. He did something new with old stuff, and it feels incredibly fresh. It's incredibly exciting. Performances are great. The writing is great. The scares are great. The set pieces are great. I, I actually didn't think it was too long. I actually liked the way it unfolded. I was completely riveted by that point, but I can appreciate that maybe some people would say it outstays its welcome a smidge. Uh, I love it. This is my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. That's early. That could change, but huge C plus for me. Right. Uh, and then the Gray Man sucks. C minus. Yeah. <laughs> um. I will also say the gray man sucks. C minus. Uh, yeah. Because the gray man sucks. C minus. Uh, <laughs> it, it's. I mean, it, it, it makes me hate the genre. <laughs> yeah. It makes it's, me. Uh, it, it makes me just ponder the waste that goes into a movie of this size. That's the deal. Like, if you to, if you told me this movie, if you there is a thirty million dollar version of this movie. Mm. that might have been a little bit more acceptable because I think it would have been a little bit... It would have had to do more with less. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. have had the freedom to just edit. Fly, they get all this... Drones million, and yeah, shit, and yeah. have millions of, edit, of shots to edit from and ruin all your action sequences. Like, it would have had to have had some efficiency to it, to yeah. its production. Might have worked. But as it stands, it is shallow. It is devoid of personality. Mm. It's perfunctory. Uh... It's not well photographed. Mm. It's not well edited. And the acting isn't acting. It's just being quippy. Mm. It's barely a film. <laughs> it is It is the, like, it, it's the where you start with the movie. Mm. And then you're like, okay, good. We've got our outline. Now we have to make it into a film <laughs> I, by adding character and themes and ideas and interesting set pieces. I, I and just, they forget uh, to do all that stuff. On Twitter, I described it as a moving synopsis. Mm-hmm. It, it's just plot points. It's yeah. not storytelling. Uh, I, I, said, I think I said it had uh, all of the value... It, it, and all the artistic value of watching a blank screen, except mm. the screen has a purpose. <laughs> so maybe we can project a movie on the Gray Man. Oh my god, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Just Ryan Gosling's gray shirt. Anyway, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for joining us. Next time on critically acclaimed, we will be back with reviews of other films, other perhaps films, yeah. perhaps other- DC League of Super Pets. Perhaps Ron Howard's is 13 Lives and other things as well. There's a film that came out this week that I'd like to be able to get to for next week. And I'm saying it on the podcast as Mm. motivation. But there's a documentary on the band Guar, which is also on Shudder. And I I loathe that I was not able to see it this week. But I do want to talk about Guar. So uh, talk about Guar. We will will get to Guar. I think it's just called This is Guar. Or something to that effect. Yeah, it's on Shudder. Please check it out. Uh, We can't recommend it yet, but we will probably talk about it on the next episode of Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Huge thank you to all of our subscribers, whether it's just here on the main feed or on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network, where you can get all of our shows ad-free, as well as a bunch of other shows. All right, we've got our show Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Mm. We've got all our yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek ever. We do commentary tracks. We just did one for Gremlins 2. We do hangouts with our patrons where we do trivia nights. We just did a TV trivia night. I learned some stuff. It was really, really exciting. We're going to embark, and we're going to start this in August, on our new uh, like $1 tier bonus podcast where we're going to talk about all of the Step Up movies and TV episodes. Mm. 
which is a whole thing. It's six feature films and two seasons of television. Yeah, so. so not quite as epic as our Batman rewatch, but pretty epic. Uh, so we got that coming up as well. Uh, and, of course, if you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode or anything else you want us to talk about, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, or if you prefer to send a physically handwritten letter or a typed printed letter, if that's your <laughs> if that's your bag. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? I'll send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?